The following audio is from the Grove Church Snohomish campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. Well, good morning. Welcome to the Grove Church. We're so glad that you're here today. My name's Andrew, and if I have not met you, we would love to meet you. And so if you are a guest with us here today, right after service, love to take an opportunity to meet you and your family along with my wife, Amanda. And so if you're a guest with us, we want to say welcome to you. So glad that you're checking out the Grove Church. We are one church with two locations, Snohomish and Marysville. And I want you to know from the start that you've come to a church that is fully alive, that believes in the work of Jesus and the power of his resurrection. Can I hear an amen? Awesome. We, like always, preach from the Word of God. So if you have a Bible with you or you use the Bible app, I'm going to have you turn to Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13 through 20. So I'm going to give you a minute there to get there. If you use the Bible app, you version, a great opportunity as well. Uh, pull out your phone and turn to Matthew chapter 16 and 13 uh, through 20. Today, we start a brand new series called Stop Going to Church. And we're going to flesh uh, what the meaning of this is as we continue throughout this Sunday and the following Sundays. But today, our goal is going to be to answer the question really of all questions. And there's a lot of questions in life that we have to answer, whether it's as a child or as an adolescent or even as an adult. Some of those questions that some of us have already answered or are wanting to be answered uh, would be, you know, who am I going to marry? Or or where am I going to go to school, or where am I going to live, or what kind of job will I have, or, you know, what what will be kind of my life moving forward, and all these questions that kind of happen in our lives throughout different seasons of life. I remember, you know, graduating from high school, and everyone was always asking the one question that is always asked throughout your entire senior year, and that is, you know, where are you going to go? What are you going to do? What's going to happen with your life after you graduate, you know, high school? And kind of these questions flood your mind. But even, even as you get older and maybe you graduate from school or you, you know, move out of your parents' house now that you're 30 and you decide, hey, you know, what am I going to do? You know, like, where am I going to live? And I'm actually going to start buying my car insurance. When you start making those kind of decisions, you have to answer the questions. But today, there is a question of all questions that every single person in the room here today has to answer for themselves. It's a question that's posed to each individual in this room. Although maybe you might be married in this place or dating, maybe you're single or maybe you're a young person, but you as an individual must answer the question of all questions. It's a question that's asked of every person since the history of time, and this question really determines the course and the directory of your life, how and what you say to the answer to this question. Jesus wrote in Matthew 16, or Matthew wrote about Jesus in Matthew 16 and verse 13, if you're there with me. It says, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. 
And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Let's pray for God's word today. Well, we thank you that we get to start a brand new series here, God, called Stop Going to Church. And I pray today, God, that when we leave here today, we're going to get a new revelation by the power of your Holy Spirit of what it really means to be your church. And I thank you, Jesus, that the question that you're asking all of us to answer right here in this passage, in my opinion, is the most important question of our lives. And I pray, God, we would answer it wholeheartedly and fully devoted to you. It's in your good name we pray. Amen. Let's jump into some of the descriptions here of what's going on. You have Jesus ministering. He has his disciples. He has people that he's gathered to follow him, to do the ministries that he was called to do. We, we know the life of Christ started uh, basically, obviously at birth through Mary and Joseph, but really the ministry of Christ, what historians show us, is it started roughly around the age of 30. We don't know the exact you know, date or time frame, but roughly around the age 30 of age 30 is when Christ actually started his ministry. Prior to that, he was a carpenter. And it's in this context that we begin to learn the life of Christ and the ministry of Jesus in all four Gospels, the first four books of what we call the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And although some of them have similarities and some of them have differences, they all took witness account, took educated accounts of who Christ was and the life that he lived when he was with them. And this is one of the, the many examples of what we learn about Christ, specifically from Peter. And Jesus asks his disciples a question about who do people say that the Son of Man is. What's happening is Jesus is performing miracles and he's performing healings and many things are happening through the life of Christ. People are finding him and they're, they're following him and he's preached the Sermon on the Mount and he's teaching people about his life and his ministry and, and there's crowds following him and he would, what would happen sometimes is he would even get into a boat and the crowds would meet him on the other side of the lake for ministry, for healings, for prayer, for deliverance, for Christ to work in their lives. It's in this season of his ministry, as these crowds and people are surrounding him and trying to get an understanding of who he is, he wants to pose the question of all questions to his disciples. Who, who do people say that the Son of Man is? What are people around in these crowns and the far distances, who do they say that I am? What are you hearing about me and what are they saying about me? And they respond to him, the disciples say, well, well some say that, that you are John the Baptist. Others are saying that you're Elijah and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So, so some are saying that you're just a good teacher that you have good morals and you have good values and you say nice, good things. So some are saying that you're John the Baptist. If you remember John the Baptist, he was the hairy dude that ate locusts and was weird living in a desert. And he came out of that life and he then preached 
to walk in repentance. Okay, he's the weird guy nobody wants to be. Okay, and he came right before Christ and he said, you need to repent and turn away from sin. And it was at this point when people were like, oh, John the Baptist, you must be the Messiah. And he's like, no, 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 I'm not worthy to stand or tie my sandals in those feet. In fact, here comes the Messiah, and he's going to ask me to baptize him. And this is even going to get crazier because now he's asking me to baptize him in water, and yet I don't even feel worthy to be in his presence. But that was John the Baptist. He was like the fiery guy. He was the loud guy. He was the one that made everybody mad because he told them they were all sinful. And so some are saying that, that Jesus is him. Others are saying that you're Elijah. If you, if you know the scriptures and you know the Old Testament, okay, Elijah was another weird dude, honestly. There's a lot of weird people in scripture. He was another weird guy that basically was tired of people messing with God's ways. There was actually at one point in the story of Elijah with the prophets of Baal, if you remember this story, he basically challenges them to a duo. And he says, you know what? I'm so tired of you worshiping anything but Yahweh, not Jehovah, the one true God. You continue to put up poles of worship of other gods. I'm so sick of you doing this. This is probably how his tone was. I'm so sick and tired of you doing this. Now I'm going to challenge you and face off with you in a little duo. You go ahead and build a nice little fire with some wood on it. And you do what you do for your gods. And I'm going to build a fire for my God, Yahweh, Jehovah, and then we'll let you do what you do, and I'll do what I do, and let's see which God actually shows up as the one true God. This is the story of Elijah. It's a weird one. So the prophets of Baal, they just start like dancing around their fire, and they like start doing all these weird things, and they start even doing weirder things that are in Scripture that you don't want to hear about. And so they're doing all this stuff, and what happens? Nothing. Nothing happens to this fire. Nothing happens to this wood. No, no fire, consuming fire comes down. They just basically look like fools. And then Elijah, the weird guy that says don't mess with God's ways, he has his pile of wood. And to mock them and to insult them, he says just pour five gallons of buckets of water and soak this wood to death. Just soak it until you can soak it for, until water is dripping all over this thing. I mean, just make it look like the Pacific Northwest. Just go ahead and do that, okay? And, we'll, and I'll pray to my God. And Elijah begins to pray to Yahweh, the one true God that he believes in. And what happens? Consuming fire from heaven and torches that fire. And Jesus' people, the people of the crowd are saying, well, some thought you were the loud, crazy, repentive, mean guy that's telling you to repent and be sinful and to turn from your wicked ways. Some are saying you're even the Elijah dude that, that was one of these prophets that said not to mess with God's ways. Even others are saying Jer- Jeremiah, or maybe you're one of the prophets. And if you, and you want to know anything about Jeremiah, they basically were just saying that Jesus was, was this. <laughs> Because Jeremiah was the weeping prophet. He was just known for trying to teach God's people that his heart breaks for them. This is what people are saying about you, Jesus, that you're one of these people. He said to him, to them, but who do you say that I am? I'm not concerned about what other people are saying about me anymore. You've told me. They think I'm one of the Old Testament prophets. They think I was John the Baptist. They think that I'm not the true Messiah, the anointed one, the sovereign king. 
I'm not concerned about what they're saying about me. What I'm concerned about now gets real personal, doesn't it? Who do you say that I am? The question of all questions. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Basically, Peter was saying that you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the conquering king. In, in Isaiah 9-6, there's a famous prophecy of Isaiah that we only read at Christmas that called Jesus the Messiah, the one that would come as that he would be the wonderful counselor, he would be the mighty God, he would be the everlasting father, he would be the prince of peace. Simon is saying, you're God in the flesh, you're the son of God. And this is what the core of what we believe as Christ followers I love to read, big fan of reading. I always recommend books. Got two more for you today. One's Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Another one later in the message today is The Christian Atheist by Craig Rochelle. In C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity, he, he writes a very famous quote. Maybe you've heard it before. I think it's worth speaking into it here for a minute. He says, I'm here trying to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, speaking of Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. This is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But, but let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. See, the question of all questions that we have to answer before any other question of marriage, of school, of job, of finances, of where I'll go or what I'll do or what my life will end up becoming, the question you and I have to answer for ourselves as individuals is who do you say Jesus Christ is? See, this is a powerful idea because this cannot be your spouse's faith. It cannot be your parents' faith. It cannot be your grandma's faith. It cannot be because you were raised in a Christ-centered home or this is your first time to church after taking a break for years. It has to be a question that you have to answer as an individual. Why? Because there will become a day and a time when Christ will return to redeem his bride and the scripture teaches very clearly that he will give account to every single person and we will stand individually before the living God. We won't, we won't stand there with our spouse. We won't stand there with the munchkins. We won't stand there with extended family. We, we will stand there as an individual and have to answer this very important question. Who do you say Jesus Christ is? Well, Peter, good old Peter, he says it, doesn't he? He says, 
You are the Christ, the son of the living God. It's interesting because Peter was the first to put his neck on the line and take the risk and answer the question. He, he, was, the, he was the first person to declare who Christ was and why he came. Now, it's funny because if you just read a little bit longer with Peter, right after this, Jesus rebukes Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. So Peter is always putting his neck on the line. He's always taking the risk. And sometimes it's good or bad in the result. But it's interesting, though, that as he takes this risk and puts his neck on the line and declares who Jesus is, we see something automatically right here. That faith in Christ, true faith in Christ, is always going to require risk. It's always going to require courage. It's always going to require strength. That's what it requires to be a Christ follower. Jesus responds to him and says, You are blessed, are you? Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Now, this is where it's going to get real good. Okay, he says, first he was calling him Simon Barjona. At one point he called him Simon Peter, but now look at this cool name change. Significant always in scripture when, someone names get, when someone's names gets changed. He says, and I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. If you have one of those Bibles, it should be in red because this is Jesus talking. Just want to say it to you one more time here. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It's on this rock, not on Peter the person, but on his declaration, and this is where we get to learn church history today. A very, very gigantic, big distinction in church history that we'll call Catholics versus Protestants. Huge, huge distinction. In Catholicism, still to this day, we're taught, or you're taught, or the culture's taught, that it is the Pope that we look to to hear from the Lord. And this has been going on for centuries. However, in 1517 there was this really important person named Martin Luther. And what he did in this time frame of church history, keep in mind, back then, before what we have today, the Bible was not available to all people. It was only available to the elite and the select few. You did not get inspiration from the scriptures. You got inspiration from the priest, and you took your orders from the priest because the Bible was for special people. So what happened here is Martin Luther posted what was known today as the 95 Thesis in Wittenberg. 
which was, in that day, I want to debate with you. I want to debate with the church. I want to debate with what's going on. And he posted this on the entrance of the cathedral. And here's what he said, that the Bible, not the Pope, was the central means to discern God's word. Meaning that you're selling indulgences and you're creating elitism here within God's people and you're making the Bible seem to be only for a few people. But when I've studied the scriptures and I've understand who God is and who Jesus is, it is not only available to the Pope. It is not only available to the few select priests. The Bible actually should be available to all people. It should be taught and instructed from all people. And all people should have an opportunity to hear that justification by faith in God is through the scriptures and through the name of Jesus, not through a person. The reason why I bring all of this church history up is because this is the primary scripture that Catholics use to believe that the Pope follows the line of St. Peter. And they, 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 the reason why is they, they create an interpretation different than the original. And here's what it is. I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What Catholics stand for is that the church is built on St. Peter. He is the rock. And in 1517, through the Protestant Reformation, what Martin Luther said is, no, 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 no. The rock is the declaration of what Peter said. That is the rock. And that rock is a phrase. And that phrase is this, that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And the church will be established and built on the rock, the Christ, the son of the living God. This, this is why, as much as you're like, wow, this guy is so cool at preaching, and wow, he has a nice shirt on, as much as you think that's amazing, there's nothing special about me explaining the scriptures. You have access now to the word of God. In fact, I love when people say, Pastor, man, I just need you to pray for me because I'm believing God for something to happen in my life. Man, I'm going to pray my guts out for you. I'm going to believe my heart for you. But I'm here to tell you that you can go to God right this very moment and the same power that is in you is the same power that is in me. The, the professional Christian doesn't get like a little extra power. Okay, it doesn't work that way in terms of what scriptures teach us. I am not the anointed one. I don't save people. I don't heal people. I don't forgive people. And this is the difference of Protestants and Catholics. This is what it hinges on. It's interesting because if we think about the church and what it is, see the church is the gathering of people subjected to the Messiah. See, the church has always been and meant to be a people and not a building, a movement and not a day, a living body meant to transform the community in which it exists. In, in future messages, we'll, we'll talk about the early church in the book of Acts. But if you read like in Acts 2 and 3, we, we see this like cool picture of the early church. It says, uh, they met in homes, they did life on life, they cared for each other, they prayed for each other, and they devoted themselves to the word of God. 
first century church. Now, when we talk about a series like this, we say this question and we make these statements. We need to stop going to church and start being the church. Repeat after me. Say, we need to stop going to church and start being the church. Why? Well, see, there's dangers if we only go to church. I got three for you today. There are dangers if we only go. Now, I'll give you a little background for my life. I grew up in a Christ-centered home. Mom and dad loved Jesus. We had a church in our home, so that was kind of unique because our church was actually the first century church, kind of, because it was in our home. And we would gather in our home with 20 people, sometimes 30, maybe less than that. And there were times where we would then go to church and we'd go on a Sunday to a church. But really, if we want to get us, be kind of sticklers about it for a minute here, what we actually were doing when we went to church, we went to a service. We, we, we had a service. Because what the Bible teaches is that the church is not a building, it's a people. The church is a gathering, not a place. It applies really well here because this building is not our own, and we all know that. We come in and we come out. Everything you see is going to get packed up in about an hour. This is not ours, and yet we're still a church. Why? Because the church is a gathering of people. And whenever God's people gather, the church gathers. In fact, if for whatever reason, if we were in China and there was massive persecution and we couldn't publicly profess our faith in Jesus Christ or else we would be killed, China 2019, what would happen and what's happening now is everybody would meet in homes underground and revival would happen underground and no one would see it, but everyone would know about it because the church is alive in China. Why? Because the church is not a building. It's not a day. It's a living body meant to transform the communities around you. And when two or three are gathered, even watching a game, come on somebody, the church gathered. Man, this is such good teaching. Okay, anyways. Okay, so the dangers of going but not being. Okay, let me just give you three dangers here. I'm having fun up here. Danger one, okay? Jesus is not Lord of our lives, okay? Here's what happens. If we only go, when we only go and we don't be, we tend to, if we're honest, I'll be honest about myself, I tend to compartmentalize Christ to only one day in his Holy Spirit. Here's what I mean. I can live like crazy last night because I'm going to church tomorrow. Come on, somebody, right? Like, I can do whatever on the weekend because pastor's going to give the call. You know what I mean? And so we just do whatever, and we live however, and we choose whatever. Why? Because on Sunday, I'm going to church. Okay, nobody? All right, but if, if, if he's Lord of our lives and we are his body, then, then church is one aspect A service is one aspect of my life aligning to Christ as my Lord. Now, see, I've answered the question. Me, personally, as an individual, I've answered the question, who do I say Jesus Christ is? 
He is my Lord. And if he's my Lord, then I can't get away with compartmentalizing my belief with Christ only happens on Sunday. In fact, it really truly happens when you're alone, not with the gathering on Monday, when Christ and his work in our lives begins to take root. So this danger is if we only go and not be, Christ does not become the Lord of our lives. Danger two would be this, our faith is shallow. Meaning, if we don't work out our faith and our salvation with fear and trembling, Apostle Paul said that, then what happens is I can have have faith that's, I don't know, it can be a mile wide but an inch deep. It means I I can know all the stuff but it hasn't taken root in my heart if I don't be his church, his bride, his body. Lastly here, the last danger is that real transformation does not take place. See, if I, if I only go but don't be, here's what happens. My life does not get transformed in the everyday, the real work week, the real school week. It doesn't take root in my life because I've isolated it just to being one, what, an hour, 70 minutes, these are some of these dangers. Let, let, me, let me flesh this out a little bit more for you today. Why, why say stop going? You come in today, you're like, you want me to stop coming here? You know what I mean? It's like, no, 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 no. I, I don't want you to stop coming. What, what I want you to do is to have a mentality shift that you are the church, that we are the church, and that this environment is just an extension of the body of Christ. And that there's environments that happen all around every single day of the week at all different times and hours where the body of Christ is built up and encouraged and transformed. But it's a mentality shift because we've grown up, at least for me, we've grown up with saying, well, I go to church. Today I'm heading to church. Today I went to church and then I went grocery shopping. And that's fine. For today, that's how we, that's how we use terminology. But let me flesh this out a little bit more. Let's just talk football for a minute. Don't worry. For all the sport fans, I have other examples. But let's just talk football for just a minute since it's just around the corner. Okay, so see, oh wow, 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 this is just, wow, I really lost you today. Okay, so see, okay, right, yeah, all right, so a lot of us in the room are Seahawks fans, okay? And, and what we had to buy from Texas University is the terminology, the 12th man. They actually copyrighted that term, and every year we have to pay them to use the term 12th man. Right, And if you've gone to the clink, if you've gone to CenturyLink, if you've ever been to a preseason or regular game, man, you're, you're a difference maker in the game. In fact, the clink is known for being the loudest stadium. Last year, we actually tested it. We, we tend to be the top five team that creates the most false starts. And here's what we ultimately believe about being the 12th man when you're at the clink that we have the power to change the outcome of the game. That's what we believe. That's why people lose their voices. That's why people take vacation days on Monday. So we get loud, and we get excited, and we wear the gear, and we act fanatical, and it's men hitting each other, okay? Right? Well, you can understand the example for a minute here. If I no longer believe that I'm just here to watch, but I'm an active participant in the game, I have a different approach. 
I buy the gear. I'm proud to walk around with it. I yell at the other team. Right? Why? Because I believe I can change the outcome of the game. Another example here for you. Renting versus buying. All the sports people we lost, all the property people we got back. Renting versus buying. Nothing wrong with renting. We're not going to ask you to raise your hand if you rent, okay? Nothing wrong with renting. But when you buy your home, what happens? When you buy your first home, second, third, fourth, when you buy your home, what do you care about? You're caring about market values now. You're waiting for that property report every six months and whether or not they raise your taxes. You're, you're wondering what kind of things you can do to your kitchen or your bath. You're wondering, like, when can we paint this and do that? Nah, nah, nah. Why? Because you are invested in it because it's now yours. You know what you do when you rent and your toilet's broken? Do, 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 do. Uh, yeah, landlord? Yeah, the toilet's broken. <laughs> but when it's yours, it's ownership. It's commitment. You care. Last one for you since school's about to start. Our sweet little Lydia that I see back there, not in her class, naughty. Um, so our sweet little Lydia back there, she's starting preschool in a couple weeks. Yep. And um, see, here's the thing about Lydia. So our kids are little, right? So we don't, none of them are in school yet. So all the school conversations that you always have and the preparation and the school shopping and all the cool clothes and all that fun stuff, non-existent in the Munoz home. Kids haven't been of age yet. But guess what? She's now of age. And she's starting preschool. And it's costing me money. Okay? What's new? She's a girl. She costs me money. Okay. But, all right. But now that she's going to school, guess who cares where she's going? Guess who cares who her teachers are? Guess who's going on all her field trips? Right here. Right here. Why? Because I now am a part. I'm now a part of that family of school. And when I'm a part, it changes my behavior and my language. See, you and I are the church. We are his bride. You and I are the body of Christ. And the reason why we need to stop going and start being the church is because we must change our mentality that it's only a select few that do the church. It's only a select few that are the church. No, 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 no. You have gifts inside of you, my friend. You have things to contribute. You're a part of the game. You're not in the stadium. You're in the game. You're not even on the bench. You're in the game because you are his body and we are his bride. And when we are his body and his bride, it changes language and behavior. When, when you're in the game, you know the plays, you're a part of the experience, and you believe and you're invested in the outcome. But when you're in the stands, you know what we all do? That player, he's so bad. I mean, that, that play, why'd they call that play? Oh my, that, that house, if you only. Isn't it amazing? When you're in it, it changes your language and your behavior. But when you're out of it, you're like, 
The loudest critiques come from the cheapest seats. <laughs> All right, we'll move on. Time's up. Okay. Next four weeks, we get to stop going to church. We get to be the church. And this is just my prayer for you. My, my prayer for you today is that a message like this would reignite your heart for the living body of Jesus Christ. It would just reignite your passion that we are the church. And what did Jesus say? When we are the church, oh man, the gates of hell will never prevail against it. That means that whatever comes my way, whatever's happening in life, it will not prevail because we are a part of the body of Christ. It means that when people are rejoicing and weeping, it means the body of Christ shines brightest. It means that the church is not just limited to 70 minutes on a Sunday or a Wednesday. or It's all day, all the time, anywhere, any place, any hour, the church is alive. And that's exciting to know. I want to give you an opportunity to respond as the worship team makes their way up here. I feel this, just this need in my heart to always just give us opportunities for the Holy Spirit to really speak to our hearts and our minds. And I think it's just awesome to know that God's church is alive. And there was a, there was a pastor years ago that came up with the phrase, the church I see. It's off there. You can Google it, the church I see. And every church kind of has their own like language or, or whatever. But there was a few that I kind of wrote down when I was preparing this message, but the church I see cares deeply for the people around them. Again, we're a body, not, not, not just here in this moment. We're, we're a body. And, and if, if God's church is going to shine the brightest, the level of care is going to be tremendous in Christ's church. It's going to care deeply for those around them. The church I see always has room for one more in their home in life. See, it's interesting because we look around here and we go, man, we got a lot of room. But do we have room in our lives for just one more person to know and love Jesus? See, the church that I see is a light in their workplaces and their neighborhoods and their schools and their cities, because it's alive. So I want to give you just an opportunity, if you just bow your heads, worship teams is going to play a song. We're just going to give an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to work in your heart today. And as your head's bowed and your eyes closed, maybe you're here today and you'd say, you know, I have not answered the question, who do you say that I am? And I think it probably starts there for some in this room. You must come to the understanding that Christ came for you. That he died in your place for your sin. And that he can be made Lord of your life today. So as the worship plays and we hear from God, if that's you, you can... Literally, in your seat right there, you can just say, Lord, 
Jesus, I want you to be my Lord. Not my spouse's Lord, not my kids, not my grandparents. Not, I want Christ to be my Lord and Savior. And I accept the free gift of salvation. And he'll be yours. We're going to let the Holy Spirit just work in our hearts today as we respond to us being his body. Let's do that. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Snohomish Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.